Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another wonderful and exciting episode of the Anthology of Horror. I'm your host and narrator, Springheeled Jack, and we're going to get started today after just a few brief disclaimers. First of all, the show might offend you. If you're easily offended, please turn the show off and spare me the negative reviews on the podcast store, or the iTunes store, whatever the fuck you call it, uh, because you won't like the show. This is your first and final warning. Second, I use advertisements in this show that I do not own the rights to. They are the creative property of Rockstar Games. That is all. Maintaining a relationship can be trying, especially when she's getting fat and all you want to do is jerk off and play video games rather than listen to her mouth. Hi, I'm spiritual advisor and marriage counselor David Kabir. Come to my one-week retreat and I'll show you how to learn real closeness. How? By giving up what you're close to. You'll give up your possessions, including your significant other. Developed in the 1950s by Marvin Cuck. Cuckold therapy works. It worked for us. It was truly a defining moment in our trust and commitment when a well-endowed dude was ravaging her while I looked on helplessly. See? It's going to bring you closer together. After the trauma, you'll cling to each other deep in shame. And that's what a good relationship is about. Burying the shame as deep as possible. You have to start at the bottom and work your way up. After you see another man use your wife as a urinal, it puts your whole marriage in perspective. I'm David Kabir. Come to my one-week marriage retreat. Sign up today. Sometimes the things we do aren't so bad. We just don't describe them the right way. That leads to stress, anxiety, baldness, and death. Hi, I'm Allison Montana, thinker, writer, philanthropist. I want to help you access the most powerful force in the universe to achieve exactly what you want without changing a thing about yourself. That's right. I know it sounds crazy, but you heard right. I want you to achieve all of your goals without doing anything. When you unlock the power of rebranding, you can do anything you want. Yes, in our nation's history, nothing has been more important than marketing. It's the thing that built America, and now it's going to build you, thanks to the power in my incredible book, Unlock the Power, by Allison Montana. You're not jerking off. You're engaging in creative visualization and brainstorming. My book, Unlock the Power, by Allison Montana, will help you change your self-perception forever. Forever. Alright boys and girls, welcome back to another episode of the Halloween special of Anthology of Horror. We're back with The Vampire's Promise by Carolyn B. Cooney. Chapter 6 How dark the art was. Althea had not known such darkness existed in the world. There was not a hint of light, nothing at all that was less than black. And yet she could see where the vampire was and where he wasn't. He was half in the hemlocks. Indeed, he seemed half hemlock himself. His arms were among the needled branches. His hair might have been growing straight from the trees. You wanted me, he said. How flattering. You want to give a report, perhaps? Tell me how things are going with your new popularity, perhaps? It isn't necessary, my dear. Since I created this popularity, I know exactly how it's going. She had thought he was part of the shutters, that the tower room was his coffin, that his tomb was the house, but no. He was growing out of the trees, the thick, black, towering hemlocks. But maybe that was part of it. The trees themselves were also a tower. I would cut the trees down, she thought. If I need to, I'll cut them down. She wondered why she would need to. She had finished her commitment to the vampire. It was over between them. It was just that she had a complaint to register. She said, I didn't think Celeste would be that tired. The vampire shrugged. The trees lifted and fell with his shoulders, swishing blackly. I didn't promise degrees of tiredness, said the vampire. 
Althea wet her lips, and the vampire, laughingly, wet his lips as well. She put a hand over her heart, and the vampire, laughing, put a hand over his heart. He said, All the gestures are blood symbols. Did you realize that? But you don't deal in symbols, she said. No. Once more, the air thickened around them. The blackness of earth and sky faded to a pre-dawn gray, and the gray was so thick that Althea thought she would suffocate, that the human body could not absorb clouds of wool. She panted, struggling for air, and stumbled away from the hemlocks towards the house. The sun rose. The tower of the house cast the first shadow of the day. A shutter flapped where it had come unfastened. It sounded like a soul unhinged. The school had its own broadcast studio. The first week she attended high school, Althea had been awestruck. If you were the president of a club or the captain of a team, you went on television and announced your meetings and games. What would it feel like to choose your outfit in the morning knowing that you would be on television? Kimmy Joe had not been captain of varsity cheerleading when Althea was a freshman. A senior named Katia held that honor. Katia was tall and leaned and looked like an Ethiopian princess. She always wore the most awesome jewelry, and when she was on TV, Althea was overcome with admiration and amazement. This year, Kimmy Joe made the cheerleaders' announcements. Her approach was markedly different. No exotic Cleopatra on the Nile. Kimmy Joe was a bubblehead whose statements of when the game was or where practice was or when Spirit Day would be always sounded breathless and questioning, as if Kimmy Joe was not entirely sure and was hoping a really kind football captain would help her out. Really kind football captains always did. TV announcements were a time in which to say terrible things about people's hair, clothing, or degree of nervousness. It's Kimmy Joe again. Does that girl bring her own hairdresser to school? Oh, wow. Look at that outfit. Kimmy Joe could be one of those TV lifestyle reporters right now in those same clothes. That would actually be a good career for Kimmy Joe, clapping and squealing. I think that she has that down pretty well. Althea never made cruel comments. If she were on the school TV, she would probably hide behind the principal rather than face the camera. She was filled with admiration for kids with the nerve enough to appear on live TV. She dreamed of being the kind of girl who didn't even bother with notes, but chatted away, perfectly relaxed, as if having fun. This afternoon, Mrs. Roundman came on. She was nicely named. She was small, slightly chubby, pink cheek, and restlessly energetic. Althea felt that the young Mrs. Santa Claus probably had looked like that, pre-white hair and elves, so to speak. Good afternoon, Mrs. Roundman's smile vanished quickly, and she became fierce. We have an unexpected vacancy on the varsity cheerleading team. Tryouts will be limited to those girls who tried out in September. Any girl who wishes to try out must commit four afternoons a week, plus the game schedule, and she must have a C average or better. All girls planning to try out sign up after school. Any girl who cannot come at the appointed hour see me today with an appropriate excuse. Mrs. Roundman would never believe any excuse. If you were too busy to try out when Mrs. Roundman wanted tryouts held, you were useless. Althea's class burst into talk. Who quit the squad, they, they cried. Who got kicked off, more likely, said somebody. Who was it, they demanded of Becky. Celeste, said Becky. Isn't that weird? She telephoned Mrs. Roundman and said she just didn't have the energy for the season after all. She said it was taking too much out of her. The boys looked doubtful that cheerleading could take that much out of you. The girls looked doubtful that Celeste had ever wanted to be on the squad anyway, and it was her own dumb fault if she ran out of energy. Althea tried to look ignorant of what had taken, taken a lot out of Celeste. I must look sorrowful and concerned, she thought as she rejoiced. Becky leaned towards Althea, her dark, floppy ponytail quivering. You should try out, said Becky to Althea. You almost made it before, you know. 
Even though she was thrilled at the compliment and the suggestion, Althea was a little bit shocked. Shouldn't Becky show more concern for Celeste? Hadn't they been friends, shared practices and snacks at fall? Althea said uneasily, Did you talk to Celeste? Maybe she'll change her mind. Becky shrugged. She's a quitter. Who needs a quitter? It's not that kind of squad. The class echoed Becky. She's a quitter. Who needs a quitter? But she had not quit. Not really. She had been removed. Becky said, I'll coach you, Althea. Althea, you'll be perfect. You're exactly my height and figure, too, and Mrs. Roundman is aiming for a better lineup. For example, although Amy's really good, Mrs. Roundman isn't going to take Amy because Amy's too short. And she won't take Brooke because Brooke has to be seven feet tall. Althea cringed. Brooke was sitting right behind him, but of course Becky, being popular, had not bothered to look around first because she didn't have to worry about other people's feelings. They had to worry about their own. I'm 5'11", said Brooke irritably. And I'm not trying out anyway. I have a full schedule. I'm much too busy to interrupt it for something as boring and stupid as cheerleading. Becky and Brooke exchanged several more insults. Then, Brooke turned to Althea and smiled generously. Good luck, she said. You won't need it, though. You were so good at tryouts, I couldn't figure out why you didn't make it in September. The smile caught Althea by surprise. It was so friendly and so honest. Maybe I will have friends who are not in cheerleading, as well as friends who are on the squad, she thought. Maybe my life will be packed like Brooks. Althea smiled tentatively back at Brooke. Becky and Althea walked down the halls, past the lockers, through the narrow passages to the coach's office, and into the girls' gym. Only one bleacher had been pulled out, and on that narrow, bleached, gold bench sat so few girls. Althea couldn't get over it. Hardly anybody was trying out. Perhaps, the vampire had said, I could arrange for the competition to be missing. Wow, said Becky. How come nobody's here, Mrs. Roundman? Mid-season replacements are problematic, said Mrs. Roundsman. The kind of girl we want is not a girl who sits around with an empty schedule. By now, such a girl has other commitments. She's busy, involved, an involved person, or we wouldn't want her on the squad anyway. I don't have any other commitments, said Althea nervously. Mrs. Roundman hugged her. I think you knew a spot would open up, Althea, said the coach. Your commitment to cheering is very strong. I can absolutely feel it. Mrs. Roundman took them through grueling warm-ups. Then she led them outdoors into the same countryside as before. The sun was not so strong. A slight chill rose up from the grass. Althea swallowed. Becky shouted advice. Mrs. Roundman shouted orders. A dozen kids gathered around to watch. One of them was Celeste. Althea tripped and steadied herself on the brick wall. The brick was slightly warm, as if it were slightly human. Like Celeste, who seemed only slightly warm and slightly human. Celeste's face was caved in like a sleeping child's. She did not really cry, she just stared, her mouth sagging, as if she could not understand what was happening. Celeste, I told you to see the school nurse, said Mrs. Roundman sharply. What are you doing here? Celeste mumbled something. She doesn't even have the strength to move her lips, thought Althea. Mrs. Roundman said, Celeste, you're upsetting everybody. The very That's very thoughtless of you. You've surrendered your place on the squad, which in my opinion was the action of a quitter. So quit. Go. Leave. Bye. Nobody went to help Celeste. Nobody spoke up on her behalf. Nobody leaned down to carry her book bag for her. Celeste could not hoist it from the ground and instead dragged it over the pavement by the shoulder strap. Only Althea watched it go. Everybody else had better things to do. I knew he would give me popularity, thought Althea, but I didn't know he would give me Celeste's. I didn't know she had to lose everything for me to have something. I thought... I thought... Far across the field, the football team was practicing. Ryan and Michael were there. Ryan who made sure Althea was going to McDonald's, Michael, who was so perfect for her. Her heart pounded fiercely, nervously, desperately. I have to get on the squad. It's my ticket to Ryan and Michael, to Becky and parties. 
Out of the sun in the cold corner stood eight girls in junior varsity cheerleading uniforms. Suddenly, they watched Althea and her competition. When Mrs. Roundman allowed a brief rest for a sip of water, the JV captain walked over. Her voice was hostile. I don't understand, Mrs. Roundman, said the JV captain. Why didn't you just bump up one of these girls to fill Celeste's position? It's not fair to put a beginner on varsity when you have eight trained, seasoned JV cheerleaders available. Mrs. Roundman frowned slightly. She looked out over the grass, and the grass trembled slightly, as if invisible feet were passing by. You don't have a reason, do you? said the JV captain, trembling with anger. You just felt like bypassing the JV squad. Whose feet had just passed? Who had persuaded Mrs. Roundman? What was out there on the grass? Mrs. Roundman said, You people are having such a fine season with your own great coach that I was hesitant to make any such change. There will be more squad changes when football season is over. Don't worry. The JV captain brightened. This is a temporary addition then? Until basketball season? There will be new tryouts then? We'll see how everything works out, said Mrs. Roundman, and the JV squad went away less hostile. Althea did not like the word temporary, nor the phrase we'll see. Football season was half over anyway. Is my popularity already half over too, thought Althea? Is this all I get? A taste for a few weeks? But the days to come were sunny and golden. Everything seemed bright, as if the world were made of daffodils and lilies of springtime and sweet breezes. How warmly the rest of the squad greeted her. Kimmy Joe gave her a charming little speech about how Althea was absolutely perfect for the team. Becky gave a little speech about how she and Althea were becoming great, great friends, and Becky knew that Althea would be a great, great friend to the whole squad. Mrs. Roundman took pains to fit Althea's uniform perfectly. One of the snowy white sweaters, the golden initials flared like a sunburst. Although Celeste was a lovely girl, said Mrs. Roundman, smoothing Althea's thick, gleaming hair where the pullover had messed it up, with the pale coloring, she simply did not shine the way you will, Althea. Over the next several days, she worked very hard. Becky and Mrs. Roundman stayed after regular practice to help with learning the tougher routines. Saturday afternoon would be her first public performance, her first football game. But either the girls were kind, or she really was good enough. Nobody yelled at her. Nobody made a face when she needed a second or third try, though once was usually enough for the rest. Nobody said they wished Celeste was still around. After the hardest, longest afternoon of her life, Friday, be Friday before the game, Althea staggered back to the locker room. She took a shower there instead of waiting till she got home, something she would normally have never done. There's nothing worse than a girl's group shower, except maybe leaving the locker room with three hours of sweat clinging to your body. She toweled off, blowing her hair dry, putting her earrings back on. Mrs. Roundman seemed to be morally opposed to anything that dangled, and fixing the collar beneath her pullover sweater just the way she liked it. Exhausted, she made her way to the front hall. The high school foyer was a handsome space with black marble floors and gray striped marble walls. Announcements, bulletins, and the artwork of the week were taped everywhere. Scattered on the plant ledges and the steps were kids waiting for rides. One was Celeste. She looked like a plant herself, drooping and in need of water. She was wearing an old dress with too much material for her skinny body, and she was tucked into the corner of the ledge and wall as if she needed several props because her bones had given way. Nobody sat with her. Althea turned her back. It was best to accept things. Celeste had gotten too much too soon, and she would have to scrape her life back together, and that was that. Althea could not get involved. Althea had enough pressure right now, what with the first game the next day. 
Althea raised her chin, flipped her hair, and thought cheerleader thoughts. Footsteps approached her. A voice said her name. Althea cringed. She could not make herself turn around. I can't talk to Celeste. She thought I absolutely can't. It's too much to ask. Why didn't she quit school as well as quit the squad? It isn't fair of her to keep showing up and making me remember what I did. A hand touched her. A hand that felt like a sponge, that seemed to have no bones and no blood. Althea tried to run, but she was rooted in her spot. She turned her head, and only her head, and it was Jenny Marston. Jenny had been Althea's closest friend before high school. Jenny had been the one to telephone, to sleep over, to giggle and gossip with. What a friend! What friends they had been! That inseparable, essential intimacy of junior high friendship, when sleep is not possible until you share every single one of the day's thoughts on your phone. But almost the first day of freshman year, Jenny found a whole new set of friends. She and Althea had hardly spoken since then, and when they did, Jenny was embarrassed and Althea was miserable. Jenny, said Althea, relief sweeping through her with the velocity of race cars taking a turn. Hi, it's been a long time. How are you? Althea's uniform, folded so the yellow letters could be seen and understood, lay on top of her notebooks. Swinging in her free hand were her blind-your-eyes yellow pom-poms. Jenny's eyes had landed on the precious sweater and her beautiful yellow letters. You made varsity, Jenny said. That's so great. I'm so happy for you. Thanks, said Althea. I'm free, she thought. No more pain, because Jenny got sick of me. I'm Althea, varsity cheerleader, and she's just Jenny, former friend. Yellow is your color, added Jenny. It's your dark hair, I guess, and your fair skin. You look perfect. Thanks, I'm really excited about being on the squad. I'll bet, said Jenny enviously. I never even dreamed of trying out. I could never do the routines, but you kept up your dancing and gymnastics, didn't you? Dancing and gymnastics we used to take together, thought Althea, and in her memory saw two little girls in matching leotards, tumbling and running around, best friends. Friend is a nice word, thought Althea, but best friend, that's beautiful. She wondered dreamily who among all her new friends would become her new best friend. Althea made a quick and frightening decision. Becky had wanted her to have a party. She would schedule it right now before she lost the nerve, before she was overcome with, with hostess agony. I'm having a party Sunday, she said. Would you like to come? You'd like the rest of the cheerleaders, I'm sure. Oh, how she loved saying that, the revenge of it, letting Jenny come to a party. That would be so nice, cried Jenny breathlessly. It's so nice of you to think of me, Althea. Althea smiled generously. She walked carefully to the exit, keeping her eyes on Jenny, making herself forget that Celeste was on the far side of the foyer. Celeste, the only cheerleader who would not get an invitation. The only cheerleader who had been to the house before. The only one who knew. I love a party, said Jenny eagerly. Want me to help? Althea's heart sang. Her feet danced. I'm having a party and everybody will want to come. I did it. I'm popular. I have everything. At Bravado, we don't just make cars. We make America. Farms, fields, football, and getting together with some old friends. It's a diner where the waitress knows your name and gives you a hand job. It's a parade down Main Street with children cheering as their parents' jobs get outsourced overseas to be done by illiterate kids. It's a slow-motion shot of your kids running happy on a beach, ignoring the dead mammals and stricken seabirds washing up from the latest oil spill. Our fires burn bright, especially when you're breaking apart furniture and burning it in a barrel to keep warm while your wife turns tricks to buy food. We know America is hurting. We're in this together, which is why we want you to tell your congressman to approve our newest bailout. Bravado. United we stand. Together 
we fall. Hi, I'm Jock Cranley, former Vinewood stuntman, actor, and now highly qualified candidate for governor. I hate immigrants, gays, the crippled. God, I really hate the crippled. I can't stand unions, cops, old ladies. The thing is, at least you know I'm a dick. Most people fall in love with a politician, and as soon as they are elected, they say, wow, this guy's an asshole. With me, you know from the beginning, I want to be your asshole. I used to be a stuntman and TV actor. I cannot understand policy at all. I need to reduce things to a really basic level. I'm perfect for higher office. Listen, the state of San Andreas is in big trouble. We've cared about people for far too long. I'm not extending a helping hand. I'm giving you all the finger. I will throttle the deficit just like I used to throttle bad guys. Vote for me, Jock Cranley. This message paid for by Jock Cranley for governor. The phone that had been so quiet for so long was busy every single minute. Becky was delighted. Of course I'll be there, she had said impatiently, as if she and Althea had shared dozens of social events. Call Chimp Kimmy Joe, ordered Becky, and have her call the rest of the squad. Is that polite? It's the way it's done, said Becky, so Althea called Kimmy Joe, who clapped her hands. A more frequent activity for Kimmy Joe than for most. And she said she couldn't wait and would call the others. Althea telephoned Ryan, Scotty, and Michael. She, who had never had the courage to even look steadily into a boy's eye, called ten boys. Everyone was delighted. Everyone said yes. Partly, it was because nobody had had anything else to do on Sunday. She recognized that. And partly, it was because they had never seen her house before. And it was the kind of house that everybody always wants to explore. But partly, she thought, it's me. With the last call completed, Althea walked slowly around the house, thinking of what she would do between now and then to prepare. Cleaning, shopping, food, music, the party must be perfect. It would be too cold out to dance on the porches of the lawn. Althea experimented with the furniture in the large parlor, moving it to the side, or wherever she could, to free up floor space. I'm considering, said the vampire, who I want. Althea's fingers closed spasmodically around the arms of the chair she had just moved around. Where was he? How would he have gotten in? From her crouching position, she jerked her head back and forth to locate him. He was in the doorway, hands gripping each side. His fingernails were longer and sharper, and seemed to be leaving dents in the woodwork. He rocked back and forth, chuckling to himself. So many choices, said the vampire. The texture of his voice, usually dark like pouring syrup, was much sunnier, as light and warm as honey. Althea stood up. So many choices. He means my guests. He means... No, this is my party. My first party. I'm popular now. He can't come back into this. I could bash him to pieces with this chair, Althea thought. She picked it up. A chair, said the vampire disdainfully. I've avoided destruction for centuries now. A teenage girl with a chair is hardly going to slow me down. Althea made herself set the chair down neatly and quietly to show that she was in complete control. I'm just changing the furniture around, she said haughtily. I'm having the party this weekend and you are not to be here. His eyebrows rose. They arched like cathedral doorways, thin and pointed, vanishing under his straight black hair. With his eyebrows up, his eyes were very wide, too wide, as if they were glass balls that could fall out. I'm quite looking forward to your party, he said. He let go of the doorway and admired his fingernails. She thought of the people she had invited, of the necks he could grip with those fingers. Get out, she whispered. My dear, he said. How she hated the affection in his voice, as if they were companions of some sort, as if they had anything to do with each other. I'm not your dear, she said. Get out of my house. 
You forget, Althea, that I come with the house. I have been here longer than you, and I will be here long after you've left. Being addressed by name was far worse than being called my dear. It was so much more intimate. It gave the vampire some sort of ownership over her. She wet her lips and tried to breathe evenly, but it was impossible. Her lips stayed dry, and her chest rose and fell like a panting dog. Go away, she said. I think not. Because I do have ownership over you, Althea. He could read her mind. He was up inside her thoughts, underneath her skull. Was nothing safe from him? Not heart, not veins, not even thoughts. Althea felt the terrible cold of his presence and the wet wooliness of the air around him. I gave you Celeste, her voice cracked. And so quickly, too, he agreed, so craftily, carefully executed. I was grateful, but a party, twenty guests, I'm really eager to meet him. She threw the chair at him, but of course by the time the chair had crossed the room, he was elsewhere. Try to control yourself, he warned. There's nothing to be gained by childish impulses. You and I have been very adult with each other. We made a bargain. And I kept it. I gave you Celeste. That's it. That's all it is. That's all it will ever be. The vampire shook his head. She had seen him nod many times. Not his head, not his body, not his cape, but she had never seen him shake his head no. And this, too, he did with his entire body so that he rotated left and then rotated right. She felt that he could bear, bore a hole in the floor, through the floor this way, and drill himself into the cellar. That's not all it will ever be. There's always more. One is never satisfied with what one has. You'll see. I am satisfied. You come to my party and I'll kill you. I will not have anything going wrong at my party. This is the first time any of them have ever been here. It has to be perfect. I'm afraid, said the vampire, his voice like spilled chocolate sauce, dark and spreading and impossible to clean up. I'm afraid that you are incorrect, Althea. You cannot kill me. But in any event, nothing will go wrong at your party. It will be a wonderful party. You were a born hostess. He studied his horrid fingernails again as if the wrinkled foil needed a touch-up. She envisioned him in some world, some room, alien to her own, in front of some evil mirror inspecting himself, admiring himself. He said, the tower room, of course, will be left open, and my dark path will intersect with... No. There is to be no dark path anywhere. You don't get any more chances, shouted Althea. You had Celeste. That was your chance, so fuck off. Althea, I hardly think that Celeste, and Celeste alone, is payment for what I have done for you. Cast your short little memory back over the last week. Ryan, Michael, Becky, Kimmy, Joe, Jenny. A terrible heat rose up in Althea, staining her cheeks red. The vampire was amused. Did you actually think they were paying attention to you because of the pull of your fine personality? Her heart turned into a furnace of rage and pain. How charming you look with those blood-red cheeks, said the vampire. Blushing is a trait that's always appealed to me. You're sick, said Althea with loathing. Her whole body was trembling. Her skin literally crawled as if it were coming off. No, Althea, I'm not sick. I'm a vampire. You made a choice, Althea. You. You're sick. He smiled at her, and the crescent of evil sparkled like diamonds like the lost sparkle of Celeste's life. You. You, 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 you. That's true, said Althea, but I'm not doing it again. I'm popular now, and that's what I wanted, and that's where we stop. She felt as if each muscle had detached from its bone, and the tendon... Each muscle had detached from its bone, and the tendon, and was fibrillating, fib, fibrillating like a bad heart. How could he do this to her? Here's how we solve the problem, said the vampire. We shall solve it, said Althea in her hardest voice, by you going away forever and ever. He tilted his head. He wrestled his crinkled foil fingers against his mushroom-colored cheek. He stroked his long earlobe. She had not noticed before how long his earlobes were, as if his victims in their last struggle tried to pull him off and stretched him out. 
Very softly, the vampire whispered, And do you wish your popularity to go away, Althea, forever and ever? The shaking muscles grew still, the pounding heart slowed, the flushed skin went pale. If he chose, the party that had not yet been would never be. Nobody accepted my party invitation because of a slow day, thought Althea, or because they want to see the house or get to know me better. The vampire made them accept. It's his party. You choose, the vampire said. It was hard to talk or think or even exist. Choose what? Who crosses my dark path, of course. There will be 20 people here that you invited and no doubt 20 more you did not. You choose, he smiled. She shook her head. No, I won't. They're my guests. I'm your guest, too. You opened my shutters, did you not? His voice was like tissue paper floating slowly to the ground. Althea decided to call his bluff. You were depraved. You were demented. I will not do anything more that you ask. Except that. I'm not giving in. Period. That's final, she added. He smiled and nodded, his trunk pulsing back and forth as if feeling a pulse. Somebody else's pulse. Teeth hung over his narrow lip like foam on a sea wave. What is final, said the vampire gently, is your popularity. Do you wish to make a fool of yourself at your first game? Do you wish people to laugh at you in public? Do you wish the squad to request Mrs. Roundman to remove you? Do you wish her at halftime to put in one of those oh-so-eager junior varsity cheerleaders instead of you? His voice was slippery as silk and cruel as boredom. He said, I made you. I will unmake you. She thought, I can pretend to go along with him. That will give me Saturday's game and Sunday's party. Then I'll be safer. I'll make it clear to him that this is over. She turned her music on. Loud, pulsing beats, guitars, drums, and keyboards thrust its way into the room. It hammered and it screamed, demanding attention. The vampire frowned and turned away. Too loud for me, he said angrily. She made a note of that. She would have to have the house shaking with noise. I wish to have one of your guests, said the vampire. His smile was no longer e evil. It was sweet and innocent, like a child going to a picnic. You choose the guest, said the vampire. It's entirely up to you, Althea. I would not dream of taking a friend of yours. Surely there is somebody coming who doesn't matter. If not, simply invite a girl who doesn't matter. Lots of people don't matter. I didn't matter a week ago, thought Althea, but I matter now. Am I going to give that up? At the party, he said, make your choice clear by putting your arm around the shoulder of your choice. Then turn your choice to face those hemlocks that the sun goes down behind every night. When I see upon whose shoulder your arms rest, I will know who follows Celeste. She picked up the chair and hurled it at him again. An arm snapped off the chair, but the arms of the vampire were unharmed. She threw the chair again and again until nothing was left of it but splinters. The vampire was long gone. Anal cleansing dates back to the Egyptians. Coffee enemas have been all the rage for a few years now. But at Rectify Holistic, we say, why stop at coffee? We have detoxifying all-natural enemas for every occasion. Get that minty fresh taste with a peppermint enema. Or be hydrated from behind with a coconut water enema. Acquire all the charm, hygiene, and je ne sais quoi of a Frenchman with a garlic enema. We've also got relaxing and inspiring flavors like Irish coffee, fruit juice, hamburger meat, or spicy Icy ground turkey. Become nature's softy serve machine with an ice cream enema. Or get ravaged by a burly Russian with the St. Petersburg Surprise. Rectify Holistic. Come and get properly cleaned today. The tower was a black cone in a velvet sky. Black needle tips of swaying hemlock surrounded the tower like evil lace. Shutters banged with an oddly eager rhythm as if something inside hoped to get out. But no one heard. Music screamed from every corner of the house, and the throbbing drum was the only beat the party guests heard. 
The house was overflowing with teenagers. Cars were parked everywhere. In spite of the cold and the dark, a sizable group danced on the wide, pillared porch that circled most of the house. Some wore coats, some shivered in shirts. Several wrapped themselves in a chosen friend in a blanket and danced double. In the kitchen, liters of soda were emptied so quickly they hardly seemed to have been swallowed, just absorbed into the party atmosphere. In the living room, kids sat on the floor watching a movie that Becky had brought. In the family room, they lay on their backs on the rug, giggling hysterically at the jokes from comedy shows that Ryan had recorded. On the stairs, kids sat in layers, like children, like children playing school, moving up one or down one, laughing and talking about life and football victories. In the side yard, three members of the football team replayed especially precious moments of yesterday's game, and what a game it had been. It had been. All the requirements of football had been met. It had been a beautiful day, blue-skied and chilly. The stands were packed. Beyond the stadium, autumn leaves were orange and red. The cheerleaders were brilliant, their uniforms as gaudy as circuses. The team was superb, their routines executed perfectly, their kicks as high as goalposts. And, of course, they won. It's true, thought Althea, winning is everything, and I am among the winners. It seemed to Althea that the house had been waiting for this evening, that at last the house could cast off doom and dark and return to the laughter for which it had surely been built. Its wide halls were meant for hand-holding couples, not ancestral portraits gathering dust. Its echoing parlor was meant for, the doubling, for doubling the volume of music. Its huge kitchen was designed to feed dozens. Althea circulated. She laughed here, chatted there, joined the group, and brought more chips and dip to the group. She sat briefly on the stairs, finding an empty step just below Ryan, who gave her a back rub. It started off masculine and athletic, as if repairing muscles and became softer and smoother, the harsh digs becoming affectionate strokes. She leaned back against him and held his hand in hers. She cup he cupped her chin, tilted her head back, and they regarded each other upside down. The house vibrated with music. Each area seemed to have been assigned a particular sort of music. A hip-hop room, an indie rock room, even a Memories of Elvis room. Everybody turned all this music up good and loud, and here in the stairwell it all came together in one great chaotic throb. Speech was impossible. The night before at Michael's had been wonderful. No kisses, but lots of friendly flirting. flirting. No best friends, but lots of loving laughter. Being popular was temperature-raising. Her cheeks glowed, her heart was full. She was hot with victory and joy. She was hoarse from cheering. Ryan bent close over her cheek, and she held her breath, waiting for his kiss. But instead, he shouted in her ear, I went upstairs. I hope you don't mind. I wanted to look in the tower room. The tower room? A draft swirled down the long stairway and settled at the back of Althea's neck. She had forgotten the vampire. Saturday, the game, the cheering, the victory, the party at Michael's afterwards... There had been no room for thoughts of vampires. She had been all teenager, all high school, all pretty girl. Ryan wanted to look in the tower room. What shall I do, she thought. How can I stop this? Where is the vampire? What if he appeared in front of people? What if they saw him? It's locked, said Ryan pleadingly. I can't get in. Althea smiled at him helplessly, as if locks on attic doors were the natural order of things, and she could no more solve that problem than she could change the constellations in the sky. She pretended that the dim, the din of the rock music made hearing and speaking impossible. Ryan made sign language gestures and they went into the kitchen for something to drink. How bright it was in here. The big, double-wide fridge was open, with heads of two guests crammed in, inspecting the contents. On the counter, perched a girl Althea didn't even know, crunching ice and eating potato chips. Somebody crashed my party, she thought, and she was oddly thrilled. 
you knew you were somebody when outsiders poured in, wanting to be part of the action. I'm the action, Althea thought, and when Ryan spoke to her, she grinned widely and sparkled and giggled. Ryan was only slightly taller than Althea, but much, much broader. He was wearing many layers, white shirt under a dark blue fleece vest with a larger, darker leather jacket. It was a good choice, a little sober perhaps, but oh so appealing. Thick as football armor, thought Althea. What would Ryan do if I hugged him? He'd probably hug me back. It's that kind of party. But I've never hugged a boy. Do I start now, in my kitchen, with all these people to see? Your horse, said Ryan worriedly. Here, have some orange juice. Pack in the vitamin C. He pushed away the two heads at the fridge as if breaking up a huddle on the field. And one of the heads that popped up was Jenny's. Althea's voice is always hoarse like that, said Jenny, smiling at the memories of their shared childhood. Ryan was disbelieving. Come on, that's from too much cheerleading. You can never cheer too much, said Kimmy Joe, taking her second Coke. Jenny embarked on a long story of how she and Althea had once decided to be jelly donut-eating champions of the world. It was sixth grade, said Jenny fondly, and every single Saturday night we slept over at your house or mine, Althea, remember? We began on jelly donuts on Sunday morning. By Sunday afternoon, Althea had not thought of those sleepovers at Jenny's in a long time. What fun they had been, just the two of them. We had the nicest times, didn't we, Althea? said Jenny softly. Althea was filled with remembrance. They had had the nicest times. Althea's eyes grew teary. Oh, Jenny, I've missed you. The girls moved towards each other, tentatively at first, and then springing across the kitchen. Althea even forgot Ryan. She thought only of that special friendship, the lovely, silly years when life was golden and donuts were good. I've missed you too, cried Jenny. I don't know what happened when we hit high school. Something came between us. Let's not ever let that happen again. Never, cried Althea, full of friendship, full of love. She put her arm around Jenny's shoulder and hugged her tight. Beyond the kitchen window, between the hemlocks, a path like a black sidewalk grew over the grass, slid across the porch and crept through the silent window pane. It left slime, gleaming like entrails. Althea released Jenny and leapt back. I didn't mean that. Jenny and Ryan stared at her. Althea said, I didn't hug you. You aren't my choice. Althea ran to the window to open it, screaming into the dark. She isn't my choice. But the window was already open. The kitchen no longer smelled of potato chips, dip, and pizza and pepperoni. It smelled like mold and rot. The kitchen was no longer bright and airy. The atmosphere had thickened. Ryan coughed and said he thought he'd go back to the other room. Jenny said dimly, Althea? Jenny's face was strangely blank, as if she had temporarily left her body. I think I'll go outdoors for a while. I need some fresh air. No whispered Althea. You don't need fresh air. Stay here, Jenny. I've got to hang on to her, thought Althea. Keep her indoors. Keep her safe. But she was too afraid. She hugged herself to keep from screaming again, and that left no hands free to reach out and hold Jenny. Jenny's hand fumbled for the back door and couldn't find the knob. It didn't matter. The knob turned by itself. Jenny stumbled forward and could not find the step, but it didn't matter. A hand appeared to help her. A hand with long, warped fingernails, a hand the color of mushrooms. The debris of a finished party filled the house, crushed napkins and empty paper plates, ice melting at the bottom of glasses and pizza crust on the coffee tables. What a success it was, said the vampire. You can be very pleased, Althea, and don't worry about the little scene in the kitchen. I will make sure that nobody remembers it. Althea was screaming like a cheerleader, but throwing chairs and paintings and pieces, and pieces of china instead of pom-poms. Jenny won't remember a thing, protested the vampire. You saw Celeste. It takes energy to have a memory. Jenny's going to be very tired. The smile that had stayed on Althea's face from Saturday's football game all the way through Sunday's party had exhausted her facial muscles. 
Now she had ticks in both of her cheeks. Her face jumped and twitched. That's not what I meant, screamed Althea. I did not mean for you to touch Jenny. I yelled out the window. I told you to stop. Once things are set in motion, said the vampire, they cannot necessarily be stopped. It was necessary, she shrieked. I told you to stop. Stopping was necessary. I thought you said popularity was necessary, said the vampire. You can't have both, you know, and you made your choice very clear. That's not what I meant when I hugged Jenny. That's what I f- that's what you did, though, said the vampire, in the dark he glowed like a phosphorescent fungus. Althea ricocheted off the walls, pounding them, kicking them. You know perfectly well that I was hugging Jenny because I felt affection for her, screamed Althea. We agreed that when you put your arm around a girl at your party, it would be the girl who did not matter. In any event, there's no point in discussing it. It's done. It's over. There's no going back. Althea's knees buckled. She tried to hang on to the wall, but the wall was flat and offered no support. She sank to the floor. The floor was filthy, where people had tracked dirt in and stepped on potato chips. You, you depraved, disgusting, horrible. Althea could not think of enough words to fling at him. Jenny and I were going to be friends again, she thought. How dare he go ahead like that when he knew I didn't mean it? Kindly stop placing the blame on others. It's you, corrected the vampire. I told you what the arrangement would be, and you accepted it. You chose Jenny. You said this one doesn't matter. Althea crushed a dreadful thought. That girl sitting on the counter, the one who would crash the party, who hadn't... Why hadn't Althea put her arm around that girl? Nobody even knew her name. That girl didn't matter at all. Althea's hands and heart and spine turned cold and stony. I thought that, she thought. I am a terrible person. I must not have that thought again. Everybody matters, whispered Althea. Why didn't you feel that way with Celeste? asked the vampire. He seemed calm, ready to talk philosophy all night if necessary. Not that there was much of the night left. She had no answer. Because you wanted to be popular, the vampire told her. It's very reasonable. We all want to be popular. You made a good choice, Althea. Why, everybody at your party wants to come back again. She thought of the goodbyes, so many hugs. She had been careful not to hug back, but nobody noticed. They said what a good time they'd had, what a cool house she had, what fun it was, and how they all must get together here all the time. And what interesting people you had at this party, said the vampire. His voice was full of admiration. It glowed like a nightlight in the hall, safe and warm. You have so many good friends now, Althea, better friends than Jenny. How good a friend was she to you? Wasn't she mean? Didn't she turn her back on you? Didn't she abandon you? Didn't she let you sit alone in the cafeteria? It was true. Jenny had been rotten and nasty, and Althea didn't have better friends now. Nobody could put Jenny in the same class with cheerleaders like Becky. Jenny hardly mattered when you compared her to Becky. Althea felt a little bit better. Think what a wonderful day Monday will be, said the vampire. He was leaving. She could see him growing down, dividing away, letting himself be absorbed into the thick woolly air around him. Friends clamoring for your attention, friends begging you to come to the next party, friends hoping to sit with you. He was gone, and she was smiling. Friends. Oh, what a lovely word. She would have them like a bouquet of flowers in a bride's arms. All shapes and colors and sizes, all beautiful and happy to be there. Friends. Althea straightened and looked around the house. She began cleaning. The mess extended to every corner. She swept, she mopped, she neatened. Plenty of friends had volunteered to help her clean up, but she turned everybody down. She didn't want her first party to end with scrubbing and stacking. No, her first party had to finish with laughter, the honking of horns, and the hugging of friends. 
Friends, thought Althea, her sweeping slowed down, her energy evaporated. Jenny had once been her friend. Celeste had thought it was an act of a new friend to offer her a ride. Althea dropped down, becoming carpet, becoming rug, flat and thin. Jenny would be like Celeste. Vibrance gone, energy evaporated, Jenny would trudge, and it would be my fault, thought Althea. I did it to her, my best friend. No, said Althea out loud, I couldn't have done that, not me. Her voice was all scratch and no sound, like the leftovers of a soul. How would Althea ever sleep again, knowing what she had done? She had destroyed Jenny. Jenny of childhood memories and childhood joy. This is how I repay her, thought Althea. I sell her out to a vampire. Althea had cleaned up the bottom of the stairs. At the top of the stairs, waited the locked entrance of the shuttered room. All I have to do, thought Althea clearly, is shut the shutters. I have to close him back up, bolt him back in. I can't save Celeste and Jenny now. I'm, it's too late for them, but I can still stop him. I can prevent him from doing it again. She lifted her chin, took the first step up. She felt strong and full of resolution. She was the kind of woman who could conquer the whole world. The vampire said from behind the door of the shuttered room, Do you want the first party to be the last party? Althea held the broom tightly. Do you want to find out if Ryan will ask you out on a real date? Do you want to know if Michael enjoyed himself tonight? Do you want to know if Michael was just accidentally everywhere that you were? Do you want to know why it is that Michael did not bring along the perfect constants? Althea trembled. The broom fell from her fingers and tipped against the wall. The vampire's voice was as soft as cookie dough. Do you want to see if Kimmy Joe and Dusty will invite you to their parties? Or if Becky will? Althea slid to the bottom step and folded over on herself like an old sheet in a musty linen closet. Of course you do, he whispered. The vampire's laugh was old, like leaves on dying trees. Now get a good night's rest, Althea. What's done is done, and nothing has happened. Really. Jenny's just going to be a little tired. And you have better friends than that now anyway, don't you? Alright, squad, that's where we're going to pick back up. This has been The Vampire's Promise by Carolyn B. Cooney. I have been your host and narrator, Springhill Jack. If you'd like to reach out to me, you can do so on Instagram.com slash DukeLandis17. If you have questions, comments, or concern, or you'd like to audition to host a show on the Anthology of Horror Podcast Network, you can reach me on Instagram. My handle is DukeLandis17, D-U-K-E-L-A-N-D-I-S-1-7. I do get back to you guys as soon as I can. I know it takes a while to see some of the messages. I apologize, but I will get back to you eventually. All right, guys, thank you for tuning in. Until next time, stay spooky. <laughs>